Uh, thank you for sitting down and talking with us. Uh, can you start by telling us a little bit about um, your life and your relationship with Africa? Well, I started as a little kid seeing the movies with Stuart Granger and so on, and it caught my imagination. But the real thing that got me going with Africa was when I was in India and I was dealing with the Maharajas buying their guns and seeing all these big caliber rifles and uh, it inspired me to sort of take one to Africa and try it and then a lot of the professional hunters were coming into the shop to buy these guns that I was getting from India and they started telling me about Africa. We're talking about 1969, 70 and eventually Luke Samara's persuaded me to come out and uh, once you're, you've experienced the African uh, hunting or safari or photographic type of expedition, you're hooked, you know, you, 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 you always want to get back as soon as you can. In my case it was as soon as I could get enough money together to do it again. But uh, I was really hooked. And being a gun maker and being involved with heavy caliber rifles, um, the whole romance of Africa in the old days. And we're going back 50 years when climates were a little different as far as hunting was concerned. Um, and Africa, of course, was a lot cheaper to be able to hunt in uh, or travel or do, you know, I did quite a lot of photography in those days as well, which I'd come back to England and say, look at this picture, and we go, oh, wow, today, of course, they just pull out their cameras, I got all that, you know. But, um, no, it was very exciting from somebody who had grown up in North London, you know, to sort of start experiencing the wild and places where there was no human contact or sign of civilization, which was very different from post-war London. And so in 50 years you've been coming to Africa on safari approximately. Um, how do you feel about conservation and how important it is to this place? Well, originally when you come to Africa, I think myself and most people, they want to shoot animals and stuff them and stick them on the wall. And then gradually over the years you realize that that's not what it's all about. Africa is a different continent and the wildlife of Africa is a treasure not to be wasted. And you know my last half a dozen safaris, um, you, you could count on one hand easily the amount of animals I've shot in half a dozen trips. But I just love to be out here and see the wildlife and be in an area where you, you're not pressured by civilization and don't have too many aeroplanes flying over your head all day. Um, and I think that you get to a stage, and most hunters uh, of my age get to the stage that they're not interested in shooting animals anymore, but they can't resist coming out to Africa to sort of flavor the atmosphere and and, and, and as we're doing today, looking at the conservation projects that are going on in Africa today. And um, I'm very supportive of people who are trying to maintain the wildlife in, in a reasonable quantity in an area where uh, they can reproduce successfully. Um, and this particular project we're involved in at the moment shows how success can be achieved uh, if you've got the will to do it. Mm. Thank, thank you, Paul. And, and as a, as a long, long 
long-term friend and or lifelong friend of, of um, Robin and Pauline. How, what does it mean to you to be here and to see their, their Rhino project? Well, I think the Rhino project that Robin has, and his wife Pauline, who's very involved in it as well, have been successful in doing just shows how um, a one-time full-bore full professional hunter can actually get involved in conservation. And what they've done here is miraculous. You know, these rhino are heavily persecuted by poachers and they've not lost one yet in all the years they've had them here. And um, as you've seen, the rhino here are not just tame cows sitting in a pen. I mean, these rhino are free and if you get too close to one or two of them, they're, they're still proper wild animals and it's lovely to see and the success that they've had in breeding has been amazing. You know, in the years I've been coming here, the herds developed from three or four to six or seven to eight or nine, and now I think we're at 12 or 13, all with internal breeding. I mean, Maddox we saw yesterday was bred here, and he's a big rhino now. Mm, absolutely. As someone who has you know, loved Africa as much as you have for as long as you have, what would your message be to... Uh, the next generation of, of hunters, of conservationists, of nature lovers uh, about this place? Well, the, the message really is that all hunting must be done on an ethical basis. If anybody is interested in hunting, and a lot of young people are, they must always realise that whatever they do must be on a fair chase ethical basis, and that will help the continuity of hunting which is the major conservation tool for African wild animals. Uh, if you step off the legal line or you do things that are unethical or over exceed the sort of numbers of animals that should be taken, that is the Achilles heel that must be avoided at all costs and I think that there's good hunting to be done in a manner that doesn't affect the um, volume of game and in fact can improve it if you do it correctly. I mean in areas where there's too many lions they're killing the other animals you've got to get a balance and so hunting can be part of that system and of course finance to keep these vast areas um, going and successful you need staff and you need financial support which hunting and photography can supply. I think we should discuss the re recent half century of Rigby's and how in the mid-70s I had ordered rifles from them in the early 70s which I was very unhappy with. Um, always been a fan of their products, the pre-war stuff especially and I got involved in Rigby's production in about 1975 so we go back that far and then by 1982 I bought the company and worked at improving all the problems we had and then when you and I got together um, you started bringing in some of the technical innovations that uh, were necessary and eventually um, you were able to 
take over the company and run it completely. And between the two of us, we've pretty well been involved in rigbis for the last 50 years. It doesn't seem possible, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, especially at 34 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's not lost on me, Paul, the uh, um, immense uh, privilege I enjoyed being able to work under you and to learn yes. from you. And, you know, I've always said to anyone who listened that uh, Paul Roberts is the number one um, encyclopedia on best of British guns. Yeah. Um, so to have had that opportunity to learn from you, um, you know, it was very special. Well, what I think was to your advantage and the asset was that when I was involved in explaining things to you, you absolutely switched on, got the message, and that encouraged me to try and give you whatever knowledge I had. Whereas other times I've explained things to people and they've gone in one ear and out the other, whereas you absorbed all that knowledge instantly, virtually instantly. But you were very lucky too, because your father had given you quite a lot of rifle involvement from his hunting and stalking background. So you, you, you hit the ground running, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the thing that really... Uh, um, excited me in those early days working for you was the uh, the fact that you were this you know legendary hunter you still are this legendary hunter and that our guns and rifles that we were making were being made by people and under people who had who had used them you know yeah. and that wasn't always the case at some of the other gun making houses well I was very lucky because I had managed to get into the Indian marketing scene and found all these wonderful rifles that were in India and so that encouraged me to get involved in big game rifles and we had to do so much work on the Indian stuff when it came in rebarreling, reboring, restocking. It got me into manufacturing whether I liked it or not but um, it, it, was a, it, it was a great experience seeing these vast armories, you know, six, seven, eight, ten Holland Royals, Rigby's in six or seven calibers mm. um, and it was a big boost to my interest and that was reflected really in the later Rigby productions. I mean the stuff you made is, some of it is very Maharaja influenced mm. and yeah. has the appeal that it had in the old days. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting a lot of people ask me you know, um, you'll say you know, how lucky I was to have learnt from you and to draw on all of your experiences of India, uh, you know, buying the guns from the Maharajas, uh, dealing in, in the UK and your African hunting. And uh, I, even now as the managing director of Rigby's, I say to people, you know, it doesn't, it didn't end when I left. Yes. I still phone Paul once a week <laughs> saying, you know, we've got this, uh, you know, interesting calibre in, or can you just confirm to me what the distance between sensors should I be on a 416 double? I talking about the Bhopal barrels, what are these for? <laughs> yeah. And all that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you've been so generous with your knowledge. And I think it's also really important to mention here, uh, that it's not just my own journey, you know, through Rigby's, that you've really given a huge number of youngsters a start yes. in your career. And I, you, I remember you once saying to me, I'd asked, uh, you know, where, where are all these people that work for you? And you said, simple, they're running the gun trade. Yes, <laughs> one's at Purdy's, one's at Hollis, <laughs> yeah. one's at Wesley's. You know. yeah. But the thing was, Mark, that to give knowledge to somebody who absorbs it and makes use of it is very encouraging to give the knowledge that you've got. When somebody is not using that knowledge to their uh, advantage, it sort of clams you up, but because you 
grasped the stuff so quickly, it was very obvious to me that I wasn't wasting my time in explaining anything that I ever explained. I didn't have to explain too much to you. You pretty well got it pretty quick. So, and I'm very proud of what you've achieved. You've put these sort of guns back in the hands of the people that want them, whereas they were unaffordable at one time. Um, we couldn't make these guns at an affordable price until you really got the manufacturing organized. And these two particular guns we've got here, any serious hunter who, or, or gun enthusiast can have to save up maybe, but they, they are affordable. They're, they don't have that cut-off amount of cost that prevents people from aspiring to them. And uh, at the same time, you've achieved a real Rigby rifle. It's not a phony copy, it's the real thing. Yeah. And you've achieved it at a price that, um, you know, people can look at and say, that's full. A lot of wealthy people as well will look at these guns and say, these are good value for money guns. They could perhaps afford something a lot more expensive, but when they see these guns, and they are people that are going to use them, they say, these are the guns we want, and these are the guns that we can use without feeling um, that our investment is going down the drain. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel that you and I have always enjoyed a, an unusual um, uh, relationship. I, I didn't just feel like an employee. I've always seen you as very much a father figure in my life. And I've always seen you as a son figure. Well, well, thank you. And it, uh, <laughs> it, but with that came a great deal of um, responsibility I felt on my shoulders that when we relaunched Rigby's, I really wanted to uh, set about this and to really implement all of the things that you taught me and to show that I could do a good job. And it's, I mean, Rigby's is much bigger than, than myself. You know, we've got an amazing team of people um, at the company and tremendous support from, from the Blaza group. You know, let's not forget those guys and how we brought the company back. But uh, yeah, I remember those early days leaving this sort of real, you know, living in your shadow and feeling like I really need to step up here and, you know, but uh, make sure we one thing it. you've achieved, Mark, is you've welded a team together. And you know, people have asked me, what's the best gun in the world? The best gun in the world was when the team making them was the best team. Bosses at one time had a great team. Purdy's in, in the Edwardian period had great teams. And you've achieved with Rigby's that great team. And then you can make great guns. But without the team, it's not easy. I had a good team in my days with Rigby's. We had some good people, but we never quite got to the stage of having enough um, highly trained people to put the production to turn the volume up. We made 64 Rigby's one year, which was the most we ever made in a year. But compared to the years before me, we were talking about five, six, three, you know, so we got it up to that point. And then you've taken that and put it to the level where it has to be today. You can't run a firm like Rigby's even on 64 guns a year. Yeah. Uh, and you put the volume up to that amount a month now. <laughs> it's, it's a great achievement. Well done. No, thank you. And, and Paul, one last question as someone who's been so heavily associated with Rigby for so many years um, what would your advice be for the company in the you know in the future going in deeper into the 21st well, century you know futures the future of the gun trade hunting shooting is a little uncertain but I would say that you've got to be able to bring your technical 
knowledge into achieving the accuracy in your rifles with non-toxic bullets. Now that's not going to be easy, but it's something you've got to work at. And also I think that if we can get the conservation of wildlife in the proper perspective and Rigby's are doing all they can to do that, then the hunting and the gun world has more future and we've got to achieve that and what's been going on between you and your team here in appreciating what's been done in game preservation is very important and we will win if we get enough people on board that realise things have got to be done in a certain manner. But I think we're going through a very strange period in gun making because of the on the lead ban and how it'll affect shotguns as well as rifles but rifles particularly are worrying me because of the regulation yeah. of double barrel rifles with different ammunition may be a problem but you'll make it you'll you'll get on top of it i'm sure well thank you